Welcome to Sleepless in St. Canard, where nostalgia places run cycles. I'm Kitty. And I'm Ange. We haven't slept. In 30 years. This is a podcast about the 90s Disney cartoon Darkwing Duck, where episodes start off with some potential and then tip into the never-ending spiral of problematic. Where are the honeys when we need them this week, Ange? <laughs> where were where they? they? We are honeyless. Uh, yes, because today... Dear friends and listeners, we are discussing Dances with Bigfoot. This, this certainly was an episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hadn't it was. Wa- yeah, and I hadn't watched it in a very long time. I remember it vaguely. I forgot that Launchpad was not in the episode. Yeah, like at all. Just wasn't there. I know they mentioned that he was away in the episode. Yeah, he was on vacation or something. Yeah, but other than that, I remembered... Uh, Crimson Quackat, and I remember her. I, I remember the comment about cheap cologne, and I and then after that, I just remember like all the volcano stuff and the, you know, native representation that is not not great. <laughs> no, it is not. Yeah, because she's the only the Crimson Quackat in this episode too, right? I believe I'm so. Back with that costume again. I want to say there might cool because she has a few different personas that she takes mm-hmm. on. Quiverwing Quack is the most well known. Mm-hmm. I think Crimson Quackette is only in this episode. I wanted to say there's another one, maybe, but I could be wrong. It's just so strange. It's such a weird episode for her to just be this completely random other persona. But she is basically just Goslin in a hat and a mask. Yeah, I found it interesting because I thought uh, watching the episode, in the absence of Darkwing, she was acting more like him. She was. She absolutely was. And it was kind of kind of funny, like, there were quite a few, like, father-like-daughter moments, but she was basically doing everything that she would chide him for. It's pretty interesting. Do we have any other general announcements before we, we dive into this year? Uh, I guess not really. I mean, uh, did this episode have the disclaimer at the front of it? It did. Uh, yeah. So this is season one, episode 43, Dances with Bigfoot um, on Disney+. Plus. The description is Gosling gets a chance to suit up. And it does give us that disclaimer again, which I'll read again because I do appreciate this. And I think it's uh, worded very well. This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. Disney is committed to creating stories with inspirational and aspirational themes that reflect the rich diversity of the human experience around the globe. And it gives a website to learn more about how stories have impacted society. Visit www.disney.com backslash stories matter. I love how they were willing to include this on Disney Plus, but not hot spells. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we draw the line at selling your soul to the devil. It's the only episode I think that's missing from my understanding, at least on the American Disney Plus. I heard that possibly in some other countries. It might be present. I can't. Mm. I cannot confirm that for sure. But I just find it funny that they put in these two episodes with the disclaimers. But hot spells is just 
mysteriously not there and never mentioned. <laughs> it's too it's too hot. Too hot. <laughs> too hot for the Disney Plus or the D Plus. For those of you who are not familiar with this episode is I wasn't going into this and and just recently had her memory refreshed. Uh this one gets a little problematic here as far as depictions of indigenous people and you know right off the bat the title of the episode is a parody of dances with wolves which was a popular movie at the time but yeah this is basically this episode has no resemblance to that movie at all so it was just wordplay i suppose but anyway we open up with the mallard house and goslin is in her crimson quackette outfit right off the bat which is basically just uh, a Zorro outfit with a red mask, basically. And she's already proclaiming to, to Drake that she wants to help out while Launchpad is on vacation. And Drake says that she has no experience in crime fighting, as if she literally hasn't tagged along on basically every adventure he's ever had and solved probably more of them than he has. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're, we're leaning into that. Um, but yeah, the Crimson Quackette and she apparently her skill is booby traps. But I feel like she abandons that really early on. Yeah. Um, and then I, I kind of went down a little bit of a, a rabbit hole of trying to figure out the origin of the word booby trap. <laughs> Did you find and anything? There is there's a couple different variations on it where people think it could have come from. It's in the cent- 17th century... Uh, booby meant a fool or idiot. The unsophisticated trap that only a fool would fall for would be called a booby trap. And then there was also, there's like another more really long-winded version of this where it's about sailors would set traps for a seabird known as the booby. <laughs> and it was literally a trap for a booby because the the bird wasn't particularly aggressive and was kind of stupid. <laughs> So it would, it would fall for the traps every time. So flip a coin. You're either catching idiots or catching idiot birds. Either way, it works very well in the Darkwing Duck universe because they're both idiots and birds. Mm-hmm. Which, but then, you know, the Crimson Quack Guy doesn't really do it anymore. So what's the point <laughs> of looking up booby traps? Yeah, so Oslin is... Trying to convince him that she should be his sidekick while Lunchpad is gone. He gets herself grounded in the meantime. And then we see Darkwing making, I guess, presumably his gas gun pellets. Yes. Where he's just got like a big old Betty Crocker cookbook and he's just mixing them up like they're delicious little cakes. They don't even do any wordplay. It's just straight up Betty Crocker. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and as he's he's mixing all his chemicals and everything, he finds a microphone um, amid everything and follows its cord back up to Goslin's room, where she's basically F- for FBI surveilling him with monitors and headphones and everything. I guess trying to figure out how to make her own gas bombs. Yeah. One can only hope. She, um, I, I'm impressed, though, that she, she has so much technology at her fingertips. I just want to imagine that she stole it from Darkwing Tower. 
Because this is all happening in the house, too. We're just at Avian Way. And Darkwing starts, I guess Drake at this point is, is lecturing her and she falls asleep. She <laughs> falls asleep in such a way that I was like, oh, she's faking to be asleep so that he'll leave her alone. But no, she was just completely bunked out. And then she wakes up the next morning and kicks down Darkwing's door to wake him up, like fully kicks it off the hinges. <laughs> and his room is empty. And she says, that's weird. He never gets up before noon. And oh, goals. I wish I didn't have to get up before noon, too. Can relate. Yeah. And she's like, unless he has a mission. And then she opens a wardrobe just standing in his room. It just looks like it's got shelves covered in tiny little different boxes but on the door is Darkwing's costume so this is where Drake hides super secret identity costume I guess living next to the Muddlefoots he's not that concerned they'd probably come in and be like oh nice costume is that your Darkwing Duck cosplay (laughs) right and then Herb runs off to go on his launch pad cosplay and then they go to Comic-Con together. Now there's an episode. <laughs> um, but anyway, we don't get that one today. We just get Goslin wondering at the fact that Darkwing has left his costume on uh, the door of his wardrobe. So she knows that there is something wrong and starts tearing the place apart looking for clues. Because he never leave without his costume. Hunker arrives and seems entirely unconcerned that the door of Drake's room has been kicked off its hinges and just kind of steps on the door and, and wanders in, watching Goslin tear the place apart. And Goslin picks up a long brown tube. Gos, what are you doing? Something's happened to Dad. I'm looking for clues. Um, what's this? Our first clue. It looks like a flute. He's been kidnapped by the Sinkinar Jazz Ensemble! Mm, it's not a flute, it's a blowgun. <laughs> hmm, rare loblolly pine, indigenous to Northeast Asia. It's plastic wood grade, but a remarkable facsimile of loblolly pine. So, this is where Goslin really starts channeling Drake or Darkwing yes, in her yes. deduction. And then she smells it and makes up some exotic origin for it that is some kind of, you know, rare wood. Honker's like, bro, it's plastic. <laughs> but she does not take criticism. And then it starts a strange trend of Goslin smelling things like she's a <laughs> bloodhound. She does a lot of sniffing in this episode and deduces that the terrible smell in the room is knockout gas. But Honker's like, yo... Oh, your dad reeks. His cologne stinks. Cheap ass cologne. And oh. then she just goes, like I said, knockout gas. So, hey, there is anyone who has been around a dude that tries to cover up anything with Axe body spray. That's probably what Drake uses. Don't be that guy, right? Drake. Oh my God. Don't, be- <laughs> Don't bathe in Axe body spray. Think of the children. Um,. So this is all happening. They finally leave Drake's room, but see, like I think they exit through the window because a tree has fallen into the house. And now Goslin thinks that he's been kidnapped by termites because <laughs> we're just really leaning into this Darkwing deduction thing. 
and then makes the next logical step that no, and in fact, Bigfoot has stolen him. And her evidence to this is a comic book that she has. And she will defend her stance to her dying breath. And Mm -hmm. then Hunker points out that there's a, if found, please return to note on the blowgun. And it's like the Bigfoot tribe of the Pacific Northwest. And so this, because now at this point in this episode, I'm like, okay, this is kind of fun. Like the kids are together. I was like, I know it's going to get bad. But I like seeing Goslin and Honker having so much time to just be their Goslin and Honker selves. And I'm like, well, so then clearly St. Canard has to be like California-ish if they're going to the Pacific Northwest. Like, how will these children get there? <laughs> like, because they must have been close enough that, excuse me, this Bigfoot tribe of the Pacific Northwest came to St. Canard for some reason and kidnapped Drake for some reason and were able to get him back to wherever they live. Well, dear listeners, I was sorely mistaken because the children get to Darkwing Tower and decide that they are going to steal the Thunder Quack, get there, and she accidentally, like they set up the autopilot and everything, and she accidentally ejects them um, and their fancy aviator scarves as soon as it takes off. So... I, geographically, I am in the dark once again. Put a pin in that, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the Hand of Fate swoops in, and she sits on a remote control, and the, there's an ad on it for a dirigible driving school run by a woman named Dottie who might be a distant McQuack. She has that vibe about her. Mm-hmm. And then she, she's... The next scene we see, she's teaching these children how to drive <laughs> Zeppelin. And thinks that they're going to crash into something. And she just bails out. And She's leaves just... these children to death. <laughs> I guess they didn't sign a, a, a... What do you call it? a Not a disclosure agreement. A waiver? Yeah, they... I mean, these are children. Like, they just came up to her and were like, we want to learn how to fly things. And she was like, sure. Like, is there any adult present who can <laughs> sign for you? No, no. Just going to... Gonna... Do you have any money? No, no. Do you mind if I jump out if it looks like you're about to crash into something? No, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, she 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 literally jumps out and leaves them to their death. And then they're about to crash into a mountain. And then they themselves jump out of the Zeppelin and land in a river and are washed away to safety. And then, um, yeah, keep in mind that we've seen like a mountain and all these other different kind of things and we've been flying in a zeppelin so goslin thinks they're millions of miles away from home but honker ever the voice of reason just points across the river and he's like the city is right there honker <laughs> is very much the launch pad in this role just pointing out the obvious while goslin is like mm-hmm. darkwing going down that path of just coming up with stuff that isn't even remotely close and yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that they they kind of set that up. Yeah, and he's not particularly honkerish mm-hmm. in this episode either. Like, he's not, like, the smart kid. He's just kind of, you know, he is. He is playing the launch pad in this episode, but without, like, the eating obsession. Uh, without the oral fixation, <laughs> if you will. Uh, so then they go back to the Mallard house to regroup. And their solution is to mail themselves to the Pacific Northwest. A random park ranger as a COD 
which I don't even know if they do cash on delivery stuff anymore. Seems tricky. Um, but that was a thing, children, back in the back in the olden times. But he, the park ranger, thinks it's a uh, this big old crate that is filled with children is his book club books and signs off for it, and the kids run off, and that man is now out eighty bucks. <laughs> And in 90s dollars, that's $175,000, hmm. give or take a few pennies. I do actually huh. appreciate that that was the solution because it's very outlandish and cartoony. And it is something mm -hmm. that two children would do. The fact mm -hmm. that it actually worked, I just, it's a shame that I thought this episode, like even all the stuff like you mentioned, it's actually pretty fun. And I thought the dialogue was funny. So it's kind of, it's one of those things like when we mentioned Kung Fu, where it's like, oh, it's a shame that this really cool interjection is in this otherwise not so great episode. Yeah. There are parts of it that are fun, but the, the rest of it is just oof. Big old, big old oof. Mm -hmm. um, so the kids run off, and they're now uh, deep in the, the woods of the Pacific Northwest, and they're walking through some tall grass. And Honker screams about seeing a snake and just hightails it out of there. Goslin says, oh, it's just a twig, but then picks it up, and it is, in fact, a snake. <laughs> and then she freaks out and runs away after him, which I was kind of surprised uh, about, considering that this is Goslin and her love of creepy crawlies. So. I guess. Maybe because it's, like, the odds of it being poisonous are a bit higher? I don't know. It's just interesting. Considering all her bravado, she you're, is... You're right, though. I actually was thinking that, too, when I saw that scene. I'm like, oh, she actually was afraid. Yeah. And then they are just hopelessly lost in the woods and Gaz asks the question that we all ask uh, what would Darkwing Duck do? <laughs> I know that Darkwing Drakey asked it all the time. WWDWD. And then they she says, oh we just need to look for the North Star and then the Zeppelin flies by and Honker's like that's a Zeppelin and Aslan's <laughs> like, yeah I know. <laughs> they okay. really they, they kind of like bring back a bunch of stuff throughout this episode and i kind of like it it's a, it's yeah clever. lots of callbacks <laughs> yeah little running little running jokes and then they check their map and find out that they're in a quicksand pit and then of course they're in quicksand and i feel as most kids of this generation we really thought that there would be more quicksand in our future because quicksand was all over the place in kids media growing up mm -hmm. and uh, i am pleased to say that i have never once had to grab a branch and pull myself out of quicksand yet there's still time waiting uh, but yeah goslin has starkwing's gas gun and shoots a grappling hook to a tree and tries to save them but then just brings the trees down on top of them, killing them instantly, <laughs> and then the credits roll. No, they manage to scramble out of the quicksand somehow, and they climb to safety. And then uh, Gauz is ready to give up, but then she picks up the stinky stench of Drake's bad cologne just before they start hearing him cry for mercy. And they race off to find the reason why this episode has that warning in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> they find a, a Native American camp and sneak up on it as Drake cries out in pain. Please, no more! Dad must be in really big trouble! They're 
treating him like a god after all the trouble we've gone through to rescue him. And I thought the sneaking up part animation was interesting. I enjoyed it. They were just like Goslin and Honker were kind of reddish black silhouettes like creeping across the, the map painting. It was pretty cool. I, I liked the visual of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Drake is crying out, no more. And we see that he is not in peril. He's just being massaged by three uh, rodents of, of yeah, some like, type. Furry ladies, like beavers, maybe without the tails, chipmunks. They looked rat like to me. They had like bucked teeth. Yeah, I don't know. Like they kind of looked wolfish. I don't know. They were strange. They're, 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 they defy all explanation. But they were furry babes. And, uh, yeah, Drake is being massaged. He is not in mortal peril. Uslin is outraged that he is not in mortal peril. And Honker just sticks his whole damn arm in the massage oil. Too much oregano. Oh, he's not being massaged. He's being marinated. And he didn't fight me to the wedding. Not married, marinated. According to this, they feed victims to a volcano god. <gasps> We've got to save him, Hawk! That <laughs> was one of my favorite lines. <laughs> Not married, marinated. So, yeah, that was funny. But, of course, you know, why not just make the natives cannibals? Let's just, just pile on these problematic things here. According to her comic book, which is the sole basis of Goslin's knowledge of scene that she is about to uh, unravel here. Honker's reading the comic, so he's apparently the smart kid, and he's getting all his information out of her comic book as if it's fact. Uh, he has deduced that the natives will feed Darkwing to the volcano god. I did some research. Because research. Go for it. Do okay, it. so I don't know about you, but Volcano sacrifices were weirdly common in 90s cartoons. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure there was an episode with Goof Troop. I'm pretty sure there was an episode of Rescue Rangers that had it. Just various cartoons in the 90s. And I was trying to understand why. Because I feel mm-hmm. like whenever that happens, it's usually because there's some kind of piece of media that influenced the writers. Mm-hmm. So I went down the rabbit hole trying to figure out where this originated And the best I could find was there was a thread on Reddit, uh, on a subreddit called Ask a Historian, where people ask questions and actual historians will respond. And somebody out there had the same thought as me. They were just wondering why there were so many volcano sacrifices in, you know, media. Basically, what it boiled down to was... There was, at least as far back as the 19th century, there was some English literature that reported accounts of blood sacrifice in various religions. Sacrifice by volcano wasn't super common, but I guess it was mentioned. However, media-wise, what seems to be uh, traced back to the origin is a movie made in 1932 called Bird of Paradise, And essentially, it was a story about some, uh, I don't know, white dudes, Americans, I can't remember exactly where they're from, who go to an island of natives, I think in Hawaii or somewhere, 
and he falls in love with the I don't know the Hawaiian princess there mm. and I guess it's a, a love story kind of thing but spoiler alert at the end of the movie she has to throw herself into the volcano to save everybody because I guess the volcano is going to murder everybody <laughs> it was like a sacrifice thing and I'm I was- just imagining the volcano like whipping out a gun and she's like yeah, <laughs> slow motion in front of it yeah, it was just so. It's like okay, well, that's that's kind of far back, 1932. However, there was a remake of the movie in 1951, and I found the entire movie on YouTube. I guess it's oh. in it's in the public sphere now. And I was mm. reading the comments from people, and there were so many comments from people saying, "I remember this movie as a kid. I forgot the name of it, but it really stuck with me," and and just a lot of. You know, a lot of people saying that the ending was something that traumatized them as a kid and it really sat with them. So 1951, by 1991, I would think that the writers of the show were probably younger kids when this movie probably came out. Kids, younger oh. teens, adults. So I wonder their if... Their formative years. Yeah, so I, I wonder if that could have been where a lot of this 90s stuff came from these people who watched this movie and then it stayed in the back of their head. And it's kind of like a, a problematic game of telephone where one piece of media just r- reports everything incorrectly and then people pick up on it and then they kind of internalize it and then they pass it on in their media when they grow up and if they're people who work in cartoons and movies and stuff and then we the 90s kids also watch this stuff and then we're very confused and then we grow up and I just think oh yes there must be people who throw people into volcanoes that's a thing yeah and I mean it really goes to show why representation that is actually accurate really matters because mm-hmm. you get stuff like this like it, this spans generations where just so, even though it was a movie and it was fictional people get ideas because they're not being told otherwise and there isn't really especially back then before the internet th- there was a time people before the internet when it was very hard to uh you know disprove things everything was just kind of a myth or a legend or you just believed it because people told you it was true. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the only reason that we are recognizing this now is because of the internet, people who are actually from these cultures are able to, you know, they go on social media and they talk about their experiences and you can actually find people who are researchers and they can talk about, you know, realistically, this is what these cultures are like. And then, of course, that has led to more media like Moana, where mm. they actually went to Polynesia, was it? Yeah, the Polynesian Islands, I think. Yeah, and my understanding was when they were making the movie, they went there and they actually talked to the locals and they did their research. And that leads to movies that are more accurate, which in the future will hopefully mean that people aren't being sacrificed into volcanoes i guess <laughs> unless they're white people um <sighs> throwing other white people into volcanoes because we just really love to throw people in volcanoes i guess it would seem so <laughs> but anyways that's my long 
trek into why it seems oh and also i would like to add that it was usually virgin sacrifices so i'm just gonna go on record by saying that drake mallard is a virgin okay he's a virgin sacrifice (laughs) for the volcano god that is mentioned in goslin's uh comic book apparently but yeah thank you for for doing that deep dive it's interesting i went down the booby trap and you went down the volcano hole. <laughs> Sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, so speaking of holes, Goslin digs a hole under the massage tent to whisper to Drake in her, I don't know, just like little burrow, just like a little groundhog. Um, and he dismisses his attendees, his massaging women, uh, to be very unimpressed at Goslin getting all the way to the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> As he sits naked on a massage table with a towel just draped over his lap. Cover your shame, Um, Drake. Seriously, he's just letting it all hang out. And she gives him his costume and tells him that they're here to rescue him. And he's changed in like 0.5 seconds into his Darkwing costume and tells the kids that he doesn't need rescuing. Folks are nuts about him. And they think he's a descendant of one of their gods. And he points to a totem pole and there's a a very Darkwing-esque figure at the bottom of one of the totem poles. But they kidnapped him as Drake Mallard, and he wasn't in the costume. That is true. So, what's the truth? What's the truth here? We don't see his clothes anywhere. So, was Drake naked when they stole him? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe he was in his costume and they stripped him down for some reason? (laughs) Well, no, he had his costume hanging in his bedroom. Yeah, maybe they stripped him down in his bedroom. Maybe he was... Oh, and they put it on a hanger. That was very nice of them. (laughs) Knock a tree into your house, strip you in your sleep, and then make sure it's pressed and hanging up uh, nice in your closet. Not a bad kidnapping, as all (laughs) things go. And then they tell him that he's going to get thrown into a volcano. And he tells them that it's nonsense and goes to talk to a local man who makes, you know, basically gibberish noises. Because why not? And then Darkwing dismisses him to doodle in the dirt with the tip of his spear and talk very loudly and very slowly in the way of white people in foreign places everywhere. (laughs) And draws a little Darkwing and a volcano. And then the guy makes a dirt volcano and throws a little Darkwing into it. And it inexplicably explodes like a volcano. (laughs) So I guess confirming the suspicions and... Darkwing decides that he'll show them that he's a technological genius and far superior than them and, and does his usual Darkwing thing. We get our one and only Eye on the Terror that flaps in the night and he says, I am the ingrown toenail in your party pumps. <laughs> Interesting choice. And the natives are ooing and eyeing in amazement and then Oslin translates quote unquote what he says to them from her comic which apparently is also a dictionary and then the chief the chief shows up and he looks about um as you expect if you are familiar with depictions of indigenous people in media of a certain era and he starts speaking gibberish uh to them and apparently, uh, as Goslin translates, tells them to throw Darkwing into the volcano. But if he passes their test, they won't throw him into the volcano. So the chief kind of babbles at him. 
And Goslin says that he can either ent- uh, face the pit of death or fight someone called Born with Delicate Bone Structure. <laughs> and Darkwing falling right for the booby trap. Opts to fight the warrior. And of course, um, Born with Delicate Bone Structure is a giant bruiser. Because that's how it goes. And just over the course of this scene with his fight with this guy, Darkwing has far too many teeth. Like He has teeth a lot in this scene. And it's kind of concerning. <laughs> just bad, bad feelings all around. Yeah, so in addition to all the problematic stuff happening going on, he also has a problematic amount of teeth in his mouth. And it's very upsetting to me personally. And Goslin... Uh, needs Honker to distract the natives and Honker. Oh, Honker. I expected more from you. Um, he gets, you know, a flashlight, pops out of a bush and calls them primitive natives and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I really thought that this was going, this next thing that happens was going to come back. But as he's holding the flashlight under his face, the natives just turn a spotlight on him and. What the, I think it's the chief is sitting in like a director's chair, and I was like, "Oh, is this a movie set? Are they not actually like natives? Because that might redeem this a little bit." But no, it was just a gag. Yeah, uh, I was very disappointed. I'm like, "Oh, come on, come on, give it to me." Nope, Honker was distracting them. Goslin is up a tree and cuts a tree branch, and knocks out born with delicate bone structure. With the branch as it falls on his head. Possibly doing irreparable brain damage to him. And then there's just one more test to go. Uh, which is the dreaded dance marathon. And uh, Darkwing is dancing with a burly looking woman. And there's a couple other couples dancing around. And they dance for roughly seven hours. As far as I could tell. Because the clock spins around quite a bit. But it looks like it starts around eight-ish in the evening. And ends at three-ish in the morning. And Dark is just dragging his lady around uh, as she f- is sleeping. And he winds up winning because Goslin, like, pokes him. Like, what does she do? I don't does she, remember. she, like, stab him with a needle or something? Oh, I, does she use the, the the little gun? Like, the dart gun? Oh, probably. Yeah. So he wins. And they give him a wreath of flowers and dub him Dances with Bigfoot. That's the name of our episode. And the credits roll. No, no, they don't. Um, so he's getting all this accolades. And then Goslin doing her best Darkwing impression hops out of hiding and demands that she gets credit for helping Darkwing cheat all the tests and win. And then the chief decides to throw them all into the volcano after all. And I mean, that's fair. Throw the whole episode in too, please. Please. They're standing at the top of this volcano the famous hungry volcano and the natives have their spears on them and their dirigible approaches and Darkwing tells Goslin that she should tell the natives that it's a bird god and that it demands that they be set free and she does and then they all kind of whisper to each other and he's like what are they saying and she says they say they can't see the bird god because the zeppelin's in the way <laughs> and I liked that I find like, like this episode kind of tried to subvert some stereotypes because there were several points where all of our main cast assume that they're very primitive and then they turn around and say stuff like this where it's mm-hmm. it's very obvious that they're they're very smart but at the same time it still reinforced 
a lot of stereotypes. It, it, it was like it was trying, but, but it didn't quite get there. It was trying to be tongue-in-cheek, but the, the tongue never quite got in the cheek. Mm-hmm. If that's a disturbing visual for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then they do get thrown into the volcano. Arguing grapple hooks to the zeppelin and pops it and it all just happens to fall down and they crash land on very conveniently placed rock pillar just above the lava in the center of the volcano and Darkwing tries to climb the wall hoisting the kids up with him using the mantra that he learned from the Tibetan yogis he learned from as a lad which this is now a completely different story again as to who he trained with and his mantra is do you want to take it inch a i o u and sometimes y that's it <laughs> beautiful he probably just walked into a kindergarten accidentally <laughs> and thought it was i don't know some tibetan yogis that were teaching english or something and, mm-hmm. and just decided <laughs> just sat down right in the middle of nap time with everybody and thought they were meditating they were actually just sleeping <laughs> oh he really liked the juice at the end of the little juice boxes it was a good tr- day of training mm-hmm. goslin's not down for being lugged up the interior wall of a volcano and cuts the rope that's holding them to darkwing and then uses a zeppelin balloon to make a giant slingshot and then Darkwing completely does not notice that the children are not being dragged up behind him as he is now complaining about another person who I guess was his trainer. And he has yet another trainee name uh, as Beetle Nut, apparently. <laughs> and uh, Goslin and Honker zoom past him via slingshot and grab him and get all three of them out of the volcano. And uh, Darkwing, of course, assumes that this happened because of him. He pulled them up very quickly and got a second wind. And then, of course, the volcano erupts and they get blown away and land on top of the chief. And the natives start chasing them and then they run away. And then the lava is chasing them and then they all run away and they make for the lake. And Darkwing hot foots it through the lava, (laughs) saying... At his Murray Arthur fire dance lessons paid off. And apparently Murray Arthur was a gentleman who started a chain of ballroom dance schools. <laughs> and I was alarmed to find out that there are still a bunch of them around and a lot in my area, apparently. Huh. So I don't think they actually teach uh, lava dancing, but I might check it out and I'll report back. Please uh, do. Yes. So... That was another thing that I looked up. Uh, Then they get into the canoe and Darkwing dunks his feet into the lake because his feet were actually very hot. And they start paddling away and the natives are giving chase. Honker realizes that Thunderquack's autopilot would have landed nearby and they find it uh, behind some tall grass and just pile into it to make their escape oh there's that pin that i said to there put in is. it <laughs> now you can take it out of it and put it safely back in your pocket a job pin patch your pin for a job well done 
the natives, they're like, oh, there's no way that they can chase us. Uh, the natives then are seen boarding their own private jet, <laughs> give chase, but the, the engine won't start. So they, they aren't able to chase the people who have just made a volcano erupt and take out their village. At the when they were back at the house, and Goslin and Drake are congratulating themselves very loudly on apparently destroying a village and mocking its people. And then, uh, of course, we end with the oh well, that'll be the last time they try to feed an entitled white person to their volcano. And then we pan over to the the natives back in their the village, which I guess uh, maybe it was site B of their village because they have another totem pole, and at the bottom of this one is Launchpad. So, wherever Launchpad is on vacation, I hope he steers away from the Pacific Northwest. And then uh, we go to credits. Womp womp. And, uh, yeah, big, big old oof, oof. Big old oof. Dances with big oof. And, uh, yeah, so it started off kind of fun with the Goslin and Honker adventures. But I already knew that it was going to take a turn, and it just really did turn into it toward the end there. Like I, w- I would have been happier if it turned out that these were just like Hollywood actors pretending to be native people. And I would have didn't. liked Darkwing to have actually been kidnapped by the orchestra. Right? <laughs> Jazz ensembles behind the whole thing. These people aren't actually indigenous uh, peoples. They're just the jazz ensemble trying to make their way in the world, make their way in the wild. They do that thing like in West Side Story where they're snapping their fingers and they approach you aggressively <laughs> and they circle Darkwing snapping their fingers. <laughs> yep, yep. There'd be so many instances in which a gun could be hit or run into if there was just a random orchestra living in the wilds of the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> That was Dances with Bigfoot. How, how, how are we feeling, Ange? I feel like we've gotten past the worst. I was thinking in my head about how many episodes of Darkwing Duck, of the 91 episodes, have material like this that makes you tug at your collar. And I think these were the big two. And aside from that, off the top of my head, I want to say uh, Bad Luck Duck has kind of a similar premise at the beginning with Negaduck and uh, there's a witch doctor and there's a volcano that's going mm. to erupt and then they they use their magic to stop the volcano from erupting and it's a whole thing throughout that episode. And then I guess technically comic book capers has little running gag. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, um, I feel like most of the episodes are hold up decently in terms of not being culturally insensitive. Mm-hmm. I apologize if I've forgotten an episode. I haven't watched all of them in a long time, but those are the ones that come to mind. That leap to mind, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I guess it is worth noting, too, that it is very much a product of its time. And we can look back on it now in retrospect and pick it apart like this. But this was just kind of like the norm in media for a very long time so i'm glad that uh, like you said that you know diverse people have a platform now where they can say actually this is pretty <laughs> up now you gotta put a comic guy there <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i i do again i do appreciate that disclaimer i think it's important that you know e- even if 
people who might not like are, are so used to seeing stuff like this like you know you and i grew up watching this i feel like even just having that disclaimer there makes you go like pump the brakes a bit and go oh oh yeah this is not this isn't cool actually mm-hmm. like it's very disrespectful to a, a whole culture of people that have been uh supremely disrespected and you know basically wiped off the the map it's not even like one monolith culture it's just like there's various different cultures uh, uh, all over north america of that are all you know very different and unique and obviously they just kind of lump that stuff in just like in kung fu it's just an amalgamation of what the hollywood idea of native americans were mm-hmm so it's just, you know, it is a cartoon, so they're super car- super cartoony versions of it. And I didn't really want to dedicate too much time to the way that they did talk, because that is problematic in and of itself. But they would just kind of make noises and then just throw in, like, modern phrases in there. Like, I can't even remember what any of them were. I think E Pluribus Unum was one of them. So it was just like, left a bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, on the freshness scale, for me, it rates a, a zero out of five. I think that is fair. I feel like they tried. Like an attempt was made, like I said, where they tried to subvert some of the tropes by having it like, oh, they actually have a giant jumbo jet that they fly around in. Yes. But at the same time, they were still the dance marathon yeah and, and yet they still were reinforcing stuff with the whole concept of volcanoes sacrifices and like you said the the gibberish so it, it was like they were kind of try like i feel like obviously like i get the impression the writers were not being they weren't trying to be mean about it malicious like, yeah, yeah they weren't it, being intentionally malicious yeah it just seems very rooted in ignorance so I would um, agree with your rating. Um, I do think, like I said earlier, the dialogue between like Goslin and Honker and just her whole thing, like acting like Darkwing, I did think that was fun. Mm-hmm. It's also such a strange premise for an episode too, because this is at its root a show about a detective superhero, and this didn't really tick any of those boxes. Like there was no. It was just like, hey, we're going to do a Darkwing gets thrown into a volcano episode. Like, How did he get there? Why did these people find him? How did they find him? How did they get him there? Did they draw, like land the private jet in the, the lawn and come and get him? I, would I don't know. So, I guess. <laughs> like, where is Launchpad? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So, yeah, it was just a very strange episode. Completely out of place with, I feel like, everything else. Not in the top five. That's for for damn sure. (laughs) Well, speaking of, we're going to spin that wheel. We got to spin it. Spin that wheel. We're getting down to the and down to the last chunk here. We've got six titles left on here. See what the next one will be. I seem to recall there's some pretty good ones left, too. (laughs) Unless it's the one you hate. No, it's it's not. It's the Merchant of Menace. Oh, okay. So a Herb Muddlefoot episode. Herb Muddlefoot episode. So next time, and we're doing cameras on, Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> we're going to have some coconut burgers. And then we will really 
get to delve into the quackerware experience. And I don't know if this is just my brain superimposing this personality on the other character that I remember that's in it that's like Herb's rival Mm -hmm. at the quackerware place. But in my brain, I see this character and he sounds like Jimmy Durante. So that's all I remember about this episode, that it's Herb-centric. There's, uh, I think we get Drake in a very bad suit, mm-hmm. and we will be watching and discussing, and I will be sipping on the finest red wine as I watch this episode. Champagne, even, as is deserving of a model foot. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> All right, friends. So uh, we will do Merchant of Menace next time, but until then, uh, remember that crime does not sleep. And neither do we. Bye.